Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 15, page 1083, if you've got a pew Bible. We're going to get to that passage eventually. We're going to think a little bit this morning about this whole subject of fruitfulness. It's a really, really important uh, biblical theme. You, you, You maybe don't know the name of Joe Atherton, but just last week, the 64-year-old Nottinghamshire man gained his 12th world record for growing an enormous vegetable. Uh, this time it was a turnip, but in the past he has produced uh, the longest carrot, uh, the heaviest leek, and the heaviest parsnip. And I think I've got a picture of him here. Hang on. Where is he? There you are. And he obviously knows his onions as well. <laughs> uh, so he's been growing giant vegetables for 30 years, and there's no question he knows something about fruitfulness. The garden that he has, the plants that he has, are incredibly fruitful. Well, very appropriately on this Harvest Sunday, we're we're going to think about this subject of fruitfulness. Not, of course, the the sort of fruitfulness that uh, Joe uh, knows about, but we're thinking about the fruitfulness that the Bible talks about when it talks especially about the lives of those who begin to follow Jesus. It is Jesus' purpose that we might be fruitful. He says to his disciples in that passage we read, 15 verse 6, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus intends that if we're here today and we're following him, we would have fruitful lives. So three simple questions this morning. What is it, why it matters, and how it grows? That's where we're going. What is it? Why does it matter? How does fruitfulness grow? What is it? What does it mean whenever the Bible talks about having a a fruitful life or being a fruitful disciple? Well, it's a picture that's got lots of associations in the Bible. We're going to draw on a number of different places here. In the passage that we read in John's gospel that we're going to look at a bit more closely in a moment or two, it would seem that the, the, the dominant association there is with the growth of the church. It has other things in mind, certainly, but but here the disciples are just a few hours away from the cross, a few weeks away from the resurrection, a few weeks away from Pentecost, sorry, and Jesus talks about appointing them to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And and it seems that the the preaching of the gospel, the, the growth of the explosion of the early church is probably high up on what fruitfulness means here. It's the same association as the parable of the sower, isn't it? Remember, the sower sows the word, and that which falls on good soil produces an incredible harvest, not the frustrating lack of harvest of the soils that don't produce such a fruit and people turn away and so on. So it's pointing there to a converted life that then is completely transformed. So, so there's, there's evangelism in terms of fruit. There's, there's converts, if you like. But that witness of word is also backed up by witness of deed. So sometimes fruitfulness talks about the lives that people live in terms of the things that they do. So Ephesians tells us, for example, that God has prepared good works for us in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2 and 10. And in Colossians 1 and 10, it says this, and we pray that in order, we pray this in order that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So so here the idea is of a life that is 
filled with just doing good, serving other people and serving the world. We know people like that, don't we? We're grateful for for friends and for neighbors who, and for people that we don't know even who, who come and do something for other people at maybe at cost to themselves, a good work. So there's a life of service. But, but then there's also fruitfulness in terms of personal transformation. So the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, for example. The boys and girls have been looking at that recently. Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us whenever we come to Christ and he goes to work. He, he produces fruit in us. He, he grows Christ in us. And that Christ-likeness is described in lots of different ways, but in Galatians 6, as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we think about those things, and we know that they're good. We, we, we know that they're worth striving for in our own lives. We, we love to see them in the people around us. And it's a beautiful description of the character of Jesus being formed in us. So whenever the Bible talks about fruit, there, there are all these things, maybe more too, in mind. There's personal transformation. There's evangelistic impact. There's service to the world. In a way, it's, it's everything that God calls us to be as his followers. A life that has impact, that really counts for something. Don't you want that? Well, well, let me tell you why it matters. That's our, our, our second thing. Why does it matter? Well, two reasons, really. It's, it's why God called you to himself. It's why God called you to himself. We, we were looking last uh, Wednesday night in the midweek at uh, the topics of guidance and, and uh, what God's will is for our lives. And we said in some ways that it's almost a question that we don't really need to ask in some ways because the Bible is very clear that at a, at a high level at least, the purpose of God for our lives is, is really clear. It's, it's this Christ-likeness that we've just been talking about. He saved us in order that we might be like Jesus. But there's maybe an and we could put in there, and that is that he saves us in order that we might be fruitful. That's why he saved us. We see that clearly in what he says to the disciples in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appoint you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So he doesn't bring these people to himself so that they might sit around and just say, well, isn't it great that we know Jesus, that one day we're going to go to heaven? Their calling, you see, was not for themselves only. Their lives were there for his purposes. He called them in order that they might be fruitful. And you think, well, that's okay, but, but I'm not them. I'm not one of those early disciples who gave their lives in terms of missionary work. What about me? But what we need to understand is that it is God's purpose that every one of his believers would live a fruitful life. We, we mentioned it earlier. Ephesians 2 tells us that God saved us by grace and not by works. And then it says, for we are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2 verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Sometimes we spend a lot of time arguing about the fact or, or maintaining the fact that God saved us in, uh, without good works by grace but we'd forget that last little part of that passage that saved us, that tells us he saved us for good works. So if you've been saved by grace and not by works, which is every person who becomes a Christian, 
uh, you are saved for this purpose of, of, of pre-planned good works. Isn't that great? Nothing that comes your way is by accident. The opportunities that you will walk into this week are, are not accidental. They have been set in front of you by God that you might display Him and serve this world that you are put in. One of my early memories, or one of my regular childhood memories, is, is of me going into my dad's workshop. My dad had the workshop just beside the house, and, and he spent a lot of time as a woodwork teacher, and he was always making things and fiddling with things. And I'd come home from school, perhaps, and he'd be down there, and I would uh, go and find him. And, and uh, if it wasn't immediately obvious, I would, I would say to him, well, so what are you working on? What is this? What's it for? I was, I was finding out about his workmanship, you see. And, and that's the sort of picture that Paul uses here. He says, we are God's workmanship. Can you imagine, as it were, God carefully creating us, knitting us together? And maybe we could imagine it this way. An angel, as it were, comes and, and sees what he is doing and, and says, what's that and what's it for? And God would say, well, this is John or Sally, and, and I have made them in order that they might do good works in order that it might be fruitful. It's, it's his purpose for, for you. Take another verse. I didn't know this existed. It's a marvelous verse, Romans 7, 4. So, my brothers, you also die to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to one another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. You see? It's just... All the way through the scriptures, Paul's talking about relationship to the law. He says, we belong to Jesus and to one another, but we belong to Jesus in order that we might bear fruit to God. I don't know if you're a a list person or not. Maybe you think about the week ahead and you put together a list in your head or or on paper, and and the things you've got to do on that list are, are usually pretty mundane things. They're paying bills and sorting out car insurance and posting things and all the rest of it. And, and yet above all of those sort of weekly mundane tasks, you've got a, an overarching job, haven't you? And it is that you would be fruitful for the Lord Jesus. It, it's, it's why he brought you to himself. Now, maybe somebody might hear all of this and, and say, well, do you know what sounds a little bit serious? Sometimes I, I, I sort of want a a Christianity that doesn't cost me too much. We, we wouldn't put it like that, but that's the implication of some of the ways that we think. I, I want the benefits of it. I really want to know peace and, and security about the future and so on. But, but I don't want it to cost me too much. Would that be okay? Well, then we need to listen to this next little point. Why is it important? Because it proves that we are his. It's, it's why he brought us to himself, and it also proves that you're his. It's, it's a really important strand of what the Bible says. Look at what it says in, in chapter 15, verse 8 of, of uh, John's gospel. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Some of the translations have proving yourselves to me, my disciples. You see, a fruitful life is not a sort of a bolt-on extra. It's not an option a bonus for the Christian, it is actually what shows that we are genuinely Christians in the first place. So whenever John the Baptist was baptizing and down at the Jordan, he sees all these crowds coming to him. 
And uh, presumably, many of them were there just to see what was going on. They were sort of religious spectators. And what does he say to them? He, he uses this uh, great opening line. You brood of vipers, he says. You're a bunch of snakes. Uh, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And then he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So, so fruit is, is this indication of the genuineness of what's going on inside this turning to God. It's the same with Paul. Paul looks back on his ministry. He's brought in front of King Agrippa, one of those great sort of testimony moments in Acts, uh, in the book of Acts. And in, in chapter 26, he is uh, summing up his ministry. This is what he says. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and on Judea and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Prove their repentance by their deeds. You see, it's an indicates this fruitful life is an indication of the genuineness of what has happened inside. Jesus talks about good fruit and bad fruit, trees that produce good fruit and trees that produce bad fruit. He says, by their fruit, you will know them. It's the same thing. And of course, this passage, John chapter 15, it, it's a very important strand through this passage. And, and for one particular reason, that is that, that right in the midst of that disciple band, there was one who was not producing good fruit. At this point, Judas has left. He leaves in chapter 13, verse 30. And Jesus had warned that one would betray him. That was the one that he would give the bread to and so on. And, and Judas goes out. And, and Judas is just like the sort of person that Jesus is describing here in this chapter where, where it talks about branches that are not really plugged into the vine. They're not drawing on that vital connection with Jesus himself. Maybe you wonder, how, how can a branch not be part of the vine? Well, doesn't the Bible tell us that once somebody is saved, they're always saved? I, I, I do believe it does. But it also warns us that people can appear to have a real relationship with Jesus and turn out never to have had it. And so the Bible tells us to test ourselves to make sure that we're in the faith. And and that's such an important strand of the Bible's teaching that we do need to come back to it from time to time and to look at ourselves and say, is what I have here really real? Calvin says this. It may be asked whether anyone engrafted in Christ can be fruitless. I reply that many are reckoned by men's opinions to be in the vine who have in fact no root in the vine. So you see what we're saying? Fruitlessness is not an option. Fruitfulness, rather, is what naturally emerges from a life that has been taken over by God. That's what the Bible's telling us. Okay, third thing then. How does it grow? How, how, does, it, how does it appear? Well, this really brings us to John 15. What's the... What's the key thought running through all of those verses? Well, it is simply relationship. It's simply relationship. You know, I was thinking about this today, and I was thinking, you know, really, there's nothing, there's nothing new in here. 
And, and, and in a way, I, I don't want any of us to go away and think, oh, I heard lots of new things today. But I do want us to feel familiar truths freshly. And, and here you see Jesus saying, that he is the vine, his followers are the branches, and it is that relationship with him that produces fruit. So the disciples are not sent off by themselves to produce fruit and then to come back and report how they've done. No, the fruit comes by virtue of their relationship with Jesus. See, verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, Apart from me, you can do nothing. So you see, the key thing about fruitfulness is this relationship that the disciples have with Jesus. You notice that the word remain in the NIV occurs a lot in these verses. I think it's nine times or so in in 10 verses. In the ESV, it's the word abide. It's probably better that. Abide in Jesus live with him, keep that connection vital and real. And and, and this is just so fundamental. I'm sure, as I say, it's not news to us, but it's so important that we hear this again, isn't it? Because we all have a tendency to try and live our lives independently from Jesus. Don't don't we know that that that, that was the original sin, wasn't it? Where, where, Where Adam and Eve basically turn from God and say, we're going to do it ourselves. We're going to do it at a distance from you. You say this, but we're going to go this way. We're going to try and live independently from you. And even if we're Christians, we've been rescued from that, but the shadow and the stain of that quest for independence stays with us. So we must abide in Jesus. We must resist that temptation to think that we can do it, whatever it is, that we can do anything apart from him. We will think, you will find yourself thinking or at least acting as if you can do it yourself. But that's like tying apples onto a tree. The only way that fruit grows, real fruit grows, is through that vital connection. Listen to these verses again in the message paraphrase. Let let me read them. Jesus speaking. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined to me. I am the vine. You're the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separate it, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me, and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. Isn't that lovely? A relation, intimate and organic. 
So, you know, harvest is one of those stock-taking times, isn't it? We, we sort of think, oh, goodness, is it that time of the year again? It'll only be X weeks to Christmas. So, so take stock. How is your connection to Jesus at this harvest? We, we see all around us the, 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 the produce that, that is just saying, there's a law here that's woven into God's universe. Your vegetable patch tells you this, that fruit comes through intimate connection. We're not responsible for starting a relationship with Jesus. Verse 16 tells us that Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you. But we are responsible for maintaining, aren't we? That's the thrust of these verses. Stay close to me. And these verses don't actually give us a a step-by-step guide as to how we do that, but they do intertwine a number of things that are present when this is happening. Three of them. The word, first of all. Look at verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you see? So in other words, somebody who is abiding in Jesus has Jesus' word abiding in them. So they, they, they make space to hear God's word. They, they read it. They, they, they learn it. They hear it preached. They are familiar with it. How is that for you? Do you need to take stock a little bit and make some space for God's word? Prayer. Verse 7, ask whichever you wish, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Also, verse 16, then the Father will give whatever you ask in my name. So someone who's abiding in Jesus, you see, is prayerful and is able to draw on these incredible promises, and they are incredible promises. There's real encouragement here, isn't there, to be bold in prayer, to ask for things that, that just cannot happen unless God does it. You making time for prayer? Is, is the everything of your life just that subject of constant conversation with God? Prayer. Fellowship, too. My command is this, verse 12, love each other as I have loved you. So, so in other words, all of this is not a private thing. You get brought to Jesus and you, you get a family, whether you want one or not. It's part of the deal. And as we sometimes say, you then need to make your family your friends. And we do that as we love one another. And you see that Jesus doesn't trust us enough to allow us to define love for ourselves. Because he knows that we would turn that way, way, way down. He knows that we'd be like the man who came to Jesus and and said, who is my neighbor? In other words, Jesus, tell me how little do I need to do to, to... past the grade here. No, Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. Now, we could take a long time to to unpack what that means, but here's some things it means. It means not from a distance, but up close. It means not a little, but a lot. It means not just in intention, but in action. It means not in a piecemeal way, but in a sacrificial way. It means not briefly, but long-term. Love each other as I have loved you. So where this is happening, where, where somebody's abiding in Jesus, the word and prayer and fellowship 
are all going to be powerfully present there. They're not ends in themselves. So so it's not to say, I, I need to read this many chapters or pray this many minutes, because Jesus is the goal. We meet him in the word, we encounter him in prayer, and we actually serve him as we love one another. So, fruitfulness. It's really key. And it comes from knowing Jesus. Let's take stock and think for a moment what God has said to us today. We hear those words from Jesus. You can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relationship, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Lord, will you help us? These are our basic things, but we need to learn them again. And we need to do them again and again. So help us, Lord, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen.